Oh, it's playoff time. It's playoff time, and we are back. We're ready for a good episode this week. Um, Michael, are you ready? About time, time man. <laughs> for the, especially for the Canadian teams. Uh, they still haven't uh, played yet. At the time of the recording, we're still waiting on the Canucks and Flames to finish their games. Uh, still one more regular season game, and then uh, it's finally go time. Yep. Um, as always, we are, this is the Behind the Net podcast where your two hosts, Matthew and Michael. I'm Matthew and that's Michael. Hi there. And, uh, yeah, like we said, it's playoffs, it's playoff season. Um, almost officially. I mean, like pretty much all the series are on except the Canadian ones, but they do start tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, and the Oilers take the ice against the Jets tonight. And then tomorrow, which is Thursday, the Toronto Maple Leafs take on the Montreal Canadiens in a very, very, very long-awaited <laughs> playoff series. It's going to be good. Um, it's going to be really good. And, I mean, we're excited. We're nervous. And we're going to go in-depth in about it um, on this episode. We actually have a, a, a special guest coming on later in this episode. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. We're looking forward to that and breaking down the series in full because there's so much I want to talk about this series. But uh, we'll, just, we'll save that talk for a little bit later on. But first... What about the Blue Jays? Oh man, I, I like how you got right into the Blue Jays. Uh, Blue Jays have been great. I mean, it was just last week. Like we said, they were trending upwards. Um, they were dealing with the injury bug. Um, you know, George Springer waiting on him. But look at them. Even with you know a good portion of their team injured, they have been racking up the wins. Three wins in a row last night against the Boston Red Sox. They annihilated them. Eight nothing. Um, their offense, they've been finding, um, a lot of offense lately. Uh, their bat's been going good. Um, yeah. And they've been climbing, honestly, they are (laughs) the Boston Red Sox. This is a huge series as well, but just especially because of the, for the division lead, obviously, but the Blue Jays are just kind of charging right behind. Absolutely. Yeah. What's, what's great about this Blue Blue Jays, uh, chances going forward is that they've had, not only one of the toughest uh, schedules uh, to start the season, but they've dealt with quite a lot of injuries, most notably to George Springer, who I don't know when he's going to be back, but it's not going to be for a while. So considering that the the team is playing as well as they are right now, and they're not even at full strength, and the schedule's not working in their favor, you got to commend it to them. It's it's only up from here, and I think that this Blue Jays team could see themselves in a battle with the New York Yankees for the top seed spot in the uh, AL East. Mm -hmm. And as of right now, I mean... They are Boston's number one, but they are just 0.5 uh, games back behind the Boston Red Sox, and they're playing the Boston Red Sox in a series, um, like they're in that series right now. So mm-hmm. this is a crucial series. I mean, I know it's still early on in the season, so the standings, like you said, the standings are going to change. It might be, you know, the uh, the 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 Yankees might, you know, end up closer to the top than they are right now. It's still very early, but. Uh, whether the Blue Jays, you know, fall back down to earth um, eventually or wherever they land, this is like, this is just promising stuff. You know, it's just, this Blue Jays team has been showing glimpse of being ahead of the rebuild, being ahead of schedule. And um, it's just exciting to see. Absolutely. And to your point about the importance of these games, uh, you have to think about it uh, from uh, when the season's over. Like, let's say the Boston Red Sox do turn it around, uh, after this series with the, with the Blue Jays. Who's to say that these games uh, uh, mean a lot in terms of who gets placed where in the standings? So yeah, the Jays need to take full advantage of not only this series, but the next couple of games because they will be playing all AL East teams uh, this week and a little bit of next week. Because uh, I think it's Tampa Bay after this and then the Yankees uh, after that. Exactly. It's huge in, in terms of uh, tiebreakers and scenarios. So yeah. And then yeah, we have the Rays... Uh... We had the Blue Jays facing the Rays and then the Yankees right after. And again, that's interdivisional matchups uh, that are that are pretty crucial because Tampa Bay is right behind the Blue Jays. Um, they're one game behind Boston, so they're right there with the Blue Jays. And then the Yankees are also a half a game behind that. Um, so those four teams are really battling it out. And uh, it's nice to see the Blue Jays just w- within <laughs> within the fight right now. You know, we we predicted them to be a wild card team and, and truth be told like i said it's still early in the season so they could still slot in around the wild card spot or you know they could you know, like right now they're you know um going above our expectations and they can end like that so it's just mm-hmm. promising i mean vladdy vladdy has been the story of the season he is getting his back going um 
what he's at right now, 12 home runs? Something like that, yeah. He's one of the best players in baseball. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just want to pull up the stats right now, like the league leaders. Um, I think he's among – he is among the leaders, but I just want to see who has the most. And I know he's he was tied for first just the other night. If just I'm not mistaken, right now the leaders in home runs is Shohei Otani. Yeah, Otani is at 14. Um, He's a huge story in himself. He's playing out <laughs> of this world right now. But, uh, yeah, like I'm just looking here. Vladdy's at he's is tied for seventh and he has 11 and that's only like there's a lot of people tied after uh, second and third um so he's actually tied for third it's just he's ranked seventh on their list here but he's tied for third and that's that's huge I have to I have a quick question about Shohei Otani just because because I'm on since we're on that train for a minute how come in, in, in Yahoo Fantasy he's not owned by everybody as both a pitcher and a hitter Guys, 94% for him, <laughs> the best player in baseball right now, is too low. Get him. Honestly, honestly. And, man, the Angels are just an interesting team. How you got Otani and Mike Trout? And, you know, they still need, they're still having trouble racking up those wins. Man. It just, it just goes to show you that you need a lot of talent surrounding your stars in baseball. You can't just have one or two really good players. You need oh, yeah. as, as many as you can. Oh, yeah. This is like the equivalent of LeBron and, and AD teaming up, but you need more than that. <laughs> yeah, baseball is just one of those sports where you, you, you can't just rely on two guys. You need mm-hmm. so much depth. Oh, yeah, for That's sure. That's something the Angels have never really had for a while. But anyway, back to the Blue Jays because uh, we're we, we're not a downer episode. We're a happy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, but for real though, yeah, no, the Angels, uh, they're they have some great players. But for the Blue Jays, yeah, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. We've already talked about him at length last week. I think the only thing I really want to add is just is is he finally is this finally the player that we've expected? Is is this is this what we're going to be used to seeing for like the next five ten years? I think, I think so. Yeah. I, I actually think it's going to be better. Let's let's be real. He's still young. He's still very young. Um, he's already playing like he's among the best players in baseball. And um, honestly, like uh, I think him and like Ronald Acuna Jr. Um, you know, players like those young guys, they're going to be you know leading the league above what they're already doing. They're already leading the league, but you know, along with like Aaron Judge, uh, things like that. You know, players like that, they are going to, I think, accelerate their development. A lot quicker than we expected and you know give it a few more years and they're just it's gonna be insane and i think vladdy is on the right track to being a franchise player most likely that type yeah. of player i will say this though um just in general vladdy is, is, is awesome boba shed's awesome i ain't telling you right now if there were fans allowed in toronto and the team could go back up there the, the place would be super loud i'm telling you that right now and I, it's such a shame that it's been we're approaching two years of the last time the Blue Jays played a game in Toronto. Man, I'm a hundred percent. I keep watching American baseball games and seeing uh, fans out in the stands, and I'm like, and the weather, the weather right now, like today, is amazing here in Toronto. Uh, the weather's just been great all week, and it just makes me so sad because I would love to be spending these really nice days outdoors at a baseball game, at a Blue Jays game. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. I would totally be... Uh, if someone offered me a chance to go uh, watch a Blue Jays game, and it was, as long as I had at least one shot, I, cause, which I already do, and we both do, I'm totally up for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. We'll just we'll just hope that they can return at least hopefully next season, really. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, the Blue Jays are looking great. Is there anything else you want to uh, bring light on? Well, there's nothing really much to add. I just hope that the good times keep rolling and uh, that uh, hopefully there are going to be more fans when they go to Buffalo. Uh, I think it's uh start of June. Mm-hmm. I know for sure that, yeah. I know there's a lot of Blue Jays fans that are in Buffalo that they're really looking forward to the, seeing the, the team up close. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, yeah, shout out to Jays. Um, we'll head into uh, a little bit of Raptors talk. They uh, wrapped up their season Eliminated from the playoffs, uh, you know, first time since uh, 2014 that they haven't made the playoffs. It is unfortunate, but it is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast. They are heading into, you know, a, a slight rebuild slash retool phase, and there's a lot to look forward to. So they ended the season off with the seventh highest lottery odds, uh, lottery yeah. odds, 
And um, I think that's exciting still because if we look at um, lotteries past, a lot of the teams that have won literally won the lottery, and it's not just the bottom three teams winning the top three picks. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) that might give us some hope to see the Raptors, even if they don't get number one. You know, a top four pick would do wonders for this rebuild. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It's just like I we said last week. Uh, this this Blue Jay, this Raptors team really needs a, a number one option, and I don't think they they figured that out since Kawhi left. And if they do find that, then I think they'll be in a much better position going forward. Because if you tell by the pressers from uh, Nick Prenurse and uh, Kyle Lowry and Masai, they all of them think that this Raptors team is still good enough. They still can compete. They still uh, have what it takes to to make it to the playoffs each and every year and uh win a championship so this is this was a down year no question about it thankfully it wasn't in toronto hopefully uh there's no more games in tampa bay <laughs> for the raptors <laughs> but uh yeah no it's just i'm just glad the season's done and we can focus our attention on the draft and just enjoying the playoffs without any stress mm-hmm. for sure i just want to talk about a bit about the lottery um we do know cade cunningham is the <laughs> the big prize of this year's draft but i'm just looking back at a, a a few of the past lotteries and at least just the last three up to 2018. I'm just looking at the numbers here. Um, the, the, like I said, it, there's a good chance, like at least in past history of history shows like that, you know, a seventh, a seventh, uh, a, a team with like the seventh highest odds in the lottery have a good chance of jumping up like 2018. Um, the Phoenix Suns, they had the highest uh, chance, but they won it. But second, the Sacramento Kings jumped up from seventh to second. Um, twenty nineteen, the Zion Williamson draft. Who won the t- uh, the draft lottery? The Pelicans, and they were in the seventh position. <laughs> and oh, also in that draft, the the Grizzlies who picked uh, John Morant second, they were in the eighth position. So both of them jumped up. And then just last season, uh, in the uh, the the Charlotte Hornets who got Lamelo Ball third overall and honestly looking like the best pick in that draft and the Edwards looks great as well but as of right now and uh they jumped up from eighth so I don't know <laughs> maybe being a the, the the number one having the number one highest chances isn't always the best thing and maybe it could work out for the Raptors absolutely yeah last I think if they get Kate Cunningham that would solve a lot of their problems yeah, and you, they, even they, if they, they the top four pick would be great, like just any of those oh, top abs- four prospects could be absolutely franchise, uh, like altering, maybe not that high, but like it would really accelerate the Raptors' rebuild. It's not. I don't even think it's a rebuild, man. Like it's like I said last week, I think this is a retool. Mm-hmm. At, at, like this is a the, this will be a quick fix. They'll probably add a really good player in this draft, regardless of where where the balls uh, fall and where they end up uh, getting selecting. The, this team is going to be back on track next season, I believe. Wouldn't it be and nice going though? To be, like, oh yeah, the Raptors have never to get number one. Like this is just dreaming, but the Raptors have never really had a franchise player. Who is the? I'm not counting Kawhi Leonard, but like and like obviously so much love to. Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam, who are stars, but like, you know, a superstar franchise player um, who is, other than Kawhi Leonard, is like of that level, maybe Chris Bosch in his early years, but even not then. And it would just be insane. I mean, there ha- you could also mention uh, Vince, Vince Carter. Carter. Vince yeah. Carter was the, was, is the reason why the Raptors are still here to begin with. 100%. So, yeah, I'm thinking Vince Carter as well, but a franchise player even higher than Vince Carter, probably like one that could possibly be among the, the best players consistently, the top five players in the league consistently. That would be something exciting. Yeah. That's, that's, I think this Raptors team could really use like a first player that they drafted themselves, developed themselves, and he became a star player that within the organization. That's mm-hmm. what I think Raptors fans would love to see someone who like gets talked about amongst like the likes of Steph Curry, MVP caliber. James, Giannis, all those MVP candidates. I think that's if that's something that if they can achieve that, then I think they've achieved just about everything you could hope an NBA franchise to achieve in your lifetime. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be the number one pick. Like, of course, Kate Cunningham looks like the most likely to be that, but hey, a high lottery draft pick could turn into something special. Either way, absolutely. Um, but yeah, other uh, other other than that, the Raptors. Yeah, they wrapped up their season. Uh, 
I mainly want to talk about both Masai and Lowry, who are the two biggest free agents going into this uh, offseason. But they kept their, I mean, their their pressers were both long, but they didn't really indicate anything about their decisions. But they both showed a lot of love to the team and a lot of love to the um, to the Raptors and the city of Toronto. Um, I'll try to pull up the real quotes, uh, but let me see if I can find some. I'll just look online. But for the most part, it was along the lines of for at least Lowry, you know. He loves Toronto. You know, Tampa was great, but it's not Toronto. The I read something like, you know, they missed um, just going on the DVP, the the Gardner, going to the Scotiabank Arena and practicing at uh, the Mac at Ryerson, things like that. And, you know, Tampa's great, but it's not Toronto. So he, so for one, he really loves Toronto. And he said his family loves Toronto and things like that. So I don't know how much that persuades his decision. Um, but, you know, things are looking good on that front. And the fact that he, he really likes it here and he would like to continue playing here as a Raptor. But he also said, you know, kind of if it'll ha- like if it's meant to happen, it'll work itself out. But at the same time, we'll just have to see. So what do you what are your thoughts on that? I think Lowry's were a little bit more encouraging in the sense that uh, he does really want to stay. Uh, but I also think that a lot of his future stems from uh, what happens with Masai Ujiri, and that's one we're going to talk about a little in a, just a bit. Uh, but yeah, no, his family uh, plays a factor, and that's always important. Uh, the fact that uh, he thinks he still has a lot of game left, and I totally agree. That last game he played against the Lakers a couple weeks back was Amazing. was fantastic. That's it's still Kyle Lowry. He has not lost a step. I don't think there should be any concerns about. What, what kind of a player he can be next year. He still have he still has a couple more years left of quality play left in him. And as long as Kyle Lowry is still one of the top point guards in the in the NBA, the Raptors still have a chance. So yeah, like I said, they still need to get some help uh, to just improve the overall depth or just find that legitimate number one option. But if they can find a way to keep uh, Kyle Lowry for at least the next couple of years, they're in good shape. Mm-hmm. It would be amazing um, for sure. And again, pair that up with a um a high draft pick and hey you know it would be amazing if it was a Cade Cunningham guard type player that the Raptors picked up in in the lottery in the draft uh, who better to learn from than Kyle Lowry you know I know um I mean at the same time you know I know Fred Van Vliet is supposed to be the you know the up-and-coming starting point guard for w- if and when Kyle Lowry's time is over and on top of that there's also Malachi Flynn but you know I think that's still questionable because Fred Van Vliet, I don't know, I would consider him keeping him at shooting guard, things like that, thus more down the line. But I think keeping Lowry for a few more years would be ideal for the Raptors and it would help just the retool a lot quicker. But um, I don't know, like in the end, the main thing is that I, I know the market for him is going to be very, very high in demand. We know that other teams have been wanting him and they'll likely be really pushing to get him this offseason. And I don't know if the Raptors can commit to that much money and to that much, you know, years um, because he will be probably demanding a high contract. And I just wanted to read some quotes from him. Um, Shout out Blake Murphy that's on his Twitter um, Mm -hmm. that he tweeted out. So first (laughs) on if he'll be back, Lowry said, I'm kind of BSing around your question because I don't have an answer. But he says his family will be a huge part of his free agency decision. But money talks and years talk. Let's be real. He says he has a ton of basketball left in him. And uh, he says uh, if he if this season... He, here, let's read it. Lowry on if the way this season went well uh, will affect his decision. Will affect his decision. He says it does play a factor in it because I enjoy the challenge of people counting me out. Counting the team out. So it sounds like... I mean, he he loves this team, and he would possibly want to run it back. But again, mm-hmm. like he said, you know, money talks. It's going to be hard for the Raptors to feel convinced to throw a lot of money in a rebuilding phase, retooling phase. But he did he did uh, sp- uh, he did emphasize that he wants more championships. I get it. Like he believes. He also said that he believes the Raptors still have it in them to be a championship team, but realistically we don't know when they might get to that level again and i get it if he 
you know, chooses a, if a contender who's, you know, knocking on the door of an NBA championship comes calling, you know? Yeah. That's what I think will be the big thing for this offseason with Kyle Lowry's future. And you also have to remember, uh, Kyle Lowry, uh, the market for him wasn't that great for uh, on the trade front. And the reason why they probably weren't uh, so willing to give up a lot of assets for us is because they probably thought that, uh, one, he could become available uh, in free agency this summer. But two, maybe, uh, maybe, the Ra- maybe they know that the Raptors really want to keep him. But yeah, I, I think it's probably leaning towards the latter, in my personal opinion. If if Masai is back, then that definitely uh, cements his decision. And to your point about the Raptors' championship chances, again, once you've learned how to win a championship, as long as you have enough quality pieces and you get some help, then uh, it's who's to say the Raptors can't do it again? For sure. Exactly. Um, it is definitely possible. And like I said, the players believe... The players are winners. They're they're proven winners. They didn't have the season they wanted, but they are proven winners. Lowry's a proven winner time and time again. Um and like I said, like you know, it's okay if he leaves, but he believes that this team still has it in them. Whether it be next season or they might need a few t- pieces to help push them over the top, but that drive is pretty much what you know, what he sees in the Raptors. Absolutely, yeah. So hopefully um, Kyle Lowry stays back for another mm-hmm. season or two. Hopefully there's a great uh, point guard prospect that comes in and can take the keys over when Kyle Lowry's time is up and he'll probably want to head back to Philly to close out his career. It probably it's That's probably the best situation for the Raptors. Sign Lowry for two years. Get your quality point. Get a quality point guard in the draft. When the two years are up, this this new guy can take over as the number one option for the point guard position, and Kyle Lowry can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that would be a win win for everybody, for sure, for sure. Um, so that's that's the news on the Lowry front. Again, no real news because we're still speculating on what could possibly happen. We'll just have to see once the off season hits. But um, the other big free agent, of course, is Masai Ujiri, and they kind of go hand in hand because. I think if Masai stays, then that's all the more reason for Kyle Lowry to stay. So Masai Ujiri um, also did his press conference, and uh, I'll just read a, a couple quotes here. On his new deal, he said, nothing new. We just finished, so at some point, get with ownership here and sit down and talk. We're going to weigh a few of the options and just give this thing some deep thought now as I go through this process. Um, and also Masai's back here in Toronto already. So... What do you think? First, I'll ask you, how important do you think it is that the Raptors keep uh, Masai Ujiri? And I don't know if how difficult it might be. Maybe, of course, I know other teams would love to have him, but I don't know. Maybe it's easier. Maybe he is really interested in staying with the Raptors. We don't know how how he feels about going into the open market as well. I think there's a couple things that are very important. I, but I think the most important thing right now is figuring out Masai's decision. Because... You need to know what uh, his course of action is to to prepare for any possibilities and not have to scramble to uh, make other decisions. So if Masai is staying and he's made it fully clear and he probably leaned his hand towards that in the presser, then you have to work diligently towards getting that extension sorted out, figure out the finances and all that. But if he's leaving, you need to for, you have to start scouring the market right now. You can't just uh, be caught with your pants down with Masai just like, oh, see you later, guys. And I'm going somewhere else. I'm going to go for another challenge. Here's what's something that uh, kind of tips me towards it could potentially be leaning towards him leaving. When he was talking about uh, Fred Van Fleet and Kyle Lowry and a lot of the players giving him high praise, he got very emotional. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be emotional in the sense that, wow, this team really loves me. Like Look, how, look at all the things we've done. But if, if that's... Uh, a way of saying I'm probably leaning towards uh, an exit, then I'm not too sure what is leading mm-hmm. towards that. So yeah, it's I think both scenarios are very possible. So the the one number one thing that needs to be sorted out is what's Masai's decision, and once that is figured out, then the Raptors have to prepare accordingly because the last thing we want to see this Raptors team do is uh, find out Masai's decision and uh scramble to uh uh react and reacting to it for sure and uh going off what you said you know he did get choked up in his uh 
in his press conference. And I have the quote here. He basically said, uh, I'd go to war. I'd go to battle with them every single day. I love them. They're like my family about his players and staff. He has a lot of love for Toronto. And according to his press conference, like it does seem like he really does want to stay because the way he's talking about the Raptors is like, he is planning for next season. Now I know he would be talking like that either way. He, uh, you know, not to speculate anything, but, um, we'll just have to see. But you know, one thing he said is, or at least this is what Blake Murphy quoted as is Ujiri says he's going to have a lot of asks of ownership in terms of making sure the Raptors can compete, but thinks they'll be on the same page. So it looks like he has future plans in mind for the Raptors and future plans that don't end, you know, next year or before next year, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that's good news for the Raptors and we'll just have to see, you know, things take turns when it comes to free agency I mean, we saw Serge Ibaka wanted to stay with the Raptors, but that didn't work out, and we know how he felt about that. So I guess things, things, you know, it's all business in the end. So we'll just have to yeah. see how that pans out. Um, but as of right now, for Raptors fans, it is looking pretty positive on the Lowry and Masai front. And like I said, they kind of go hand in hand with each other, their signings. I think, I think you fo- if I were the Raptors, you focus on getting Masai first and then let Masai get Lowry <laughs> absolutely yeah I think uh at the end of the day signs do point to at least one of them sticking around for next season I'm hopeful that both can stay but at the end but it's very possible that both could be gone so Raptors fans like all season long have been feeling the emotional weight of uh these players and and this player and this executive and what they me- meant to the city for the last uh decade almost near decade so the fact that there's a very po- a very strong possibility that we could see none of them back is very real. So Raptors fans are going to be in for a wild one this summer, and I I don't think they'll be they'll be calm even once the dust settles and we know what's going to happen with them. And it fin- turns out that both are going to stay. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and I'll leave this. I'll leave it on this. Masai, he uh, he ended his press conference basically saying he wants to call up Justin Trudeau and see if they can get the Raptors in Toronto for next season. And uh, I mean, like I said, you know, we don't really know that what the possibility of that happening is. Uh, we'll just have to see. But I think, again, it adds to the positive, the positivity um, of Masai's possible return because it seems like he wants to be back in Toronto next season. I think that's a good point too. Um, just the fact that... Uh... Kyle Lowry, one of Kyle Lowry's games this past season, where it felt like it was a perfect send off, was in Tampa, and mm-hmm. I I think that just does it. Does it's an unfair injustice to the Raptors fans. I think if Kyle Lowry's going to play his last game as a Raptor, it should have been in front of the fans in Toronto, and obviously COVID prevented that from happening. But hopefully uh, that we will get to see that that proper send off and the proper uh, finale f- for his uh, time in Toronto, and I think sure. that's what that needs to be done. For sure. Um, but yeah, that's the Raptors season and we'll just see how their off season. I think it's an exciting it's gonna be an exciting off season for once for the Raptors. <laughs> um, they have something to look forward to, um, for Raptors fans. So we'll see how that goes. I think now we'll head into the main portion of our episode. Um, the hockey the hockey talk. Uh it's big, it's playoff season and uh we actually have none other than David Alter. He is a Toronto Maple Leafs reporter for the hockey news. So how about we get into that interview now? He'll be on shortly. So let's go into that. Today, we're so pleased to be joined by David Alter, a Toronto Maple Leafs reporter for the Hockey News. He's also written for the Canadian Press, TSN, The Athletic, among a handful of other places. So thank you, David, for joining us today. How are you today? The playoff excitement, I can hear it and feel it everywhere. Um, you know, even though fans can't be in the building, uh, it's it, you can feel the energy, especially from the the Twitter followers and whatnot. So uh, definitely feeling it for sure. For sure. It's an exciting, exciting time. Now enough about the exciting playoffs. We got to talk about the flames and the Canucks. Those are the real, <laughs> the real exciting things right now in hockey. Oh boy. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. 
uh, it's just weird. Like, I'm glad those games are at times where I'm busy. So, like, I only have time to kind of look at it and kind of feel bad. Because, like, when teams are practicing, oh, that's already happening now? Okay, good. By the time I'm done my work, that game's over. So, um, yeah, I'm just... All right. But, hey, this is a weird year. They have to get these games in to make up sponsor commitments and mm-hmm. and do things right by everybody else. So, so you get it. Um, I just... What I didn't quite understand was why they couldn't start the Leaf series earlier as a result of that when 1-4 to four had been locked up for about a week now. Mm-hmm. So... That's the way it is. For sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, and we've yeah. been seeing some great playoff games in the meantime. Like, for example, Tampa, Florida is looking like it's going to be a great series, even if it's looking like Tampa bite, uh, like, steal the whole thing very quickly. But, no, like, playoffs has been great so far, and uh, the, the, we're saving the best for last. Uh, the, the series a lot of a lot of fans from both teams have been longing for. But to get to this point, the Leafs have had to have had a really strong regular season. And by all accounts, they've had, you've got a firsthand witness to them. So, David, how would you assess the Leafs' regular season? I think the Leafs' regular season's been good. Uh, that's never really been an issue with this team, even last year. I think when the divisions lined up the way they were, I looked at some stats and I saw that a goaltender like Frederick Anderson going in had a ridiculously lopsided good record against the other six Canadian teams. So I don't think the regular season really proved a lot for the Maple Leafs. I think it allowed them to work on things that they could, could have a larger or smaller, or sorry, make that a larger version uh, uh, margin for error because you can, work on defensive things. And if it doesn't work well, I mean, you have so many games, you're so far in the standings. So I think from a defensive standpoint and from a physical standpoint, they were able to work on some things in the regular season uh, that will help them for the playoffs. But the regular season, I don't think was ever the issue. Like we're actually going to see what this team is made of in these couple of rounds here in the division when, when these games take on a whole new significance here. So I, I, I don't think you can complain at all about the way the Leafs regular season is gone. I don't know if it's been above expectations. I, I expected the Leafs to, to have the regular season that they did. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's uh-huh. definitely great that uh, the se- the regular season went really well, but uh, you're right. Uh, all of my, all the Leaf fans care about is how they do in May and June. And it certainly helps that they're going to get a lot of reinforcements. So Matt, why don't you take it away? Mm-hmm. Um, aside from obviously allowing the injured players to get healthy, um, we know that, the Canadian, I mean, like the North Division playoff series, they got extra time off and time to rest. How beneficial do you think those extra days off for rest will be for both the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens? Look, I, I think it helps. Like you had, you had some guys like like Zach Bogosian looks like he's going to be ready for Game One, and there's no way that happens if the Leafs didn't have the week off. Coming back in a non-contact jersey, you may have had guys like Zach Hyman and uh, Riley Nash not get as many practices in and then look a little bit rusty for those couple of games. And, and same with the uh, Canadians, you know, they had, you were able to use some extra time to, to get Carey Price feeling good again, to get Brendan Gallagher back, to get some other veterans back into the lineup that it really did benefit both teams almost equally. So uh, it, it's weird that it's taken this long uh, for the games to start when you've already got, the other divisions already underway and we've seen some great hockey, some great physical hockey. It's unfortunate. We're not going to have fans in the building because you can hear the lift that the home teams get from, from those games. Just watching the playoff games with fans there. I I don't know about you guys, but it just felt so normal again. Mm -hmm. Like like it was just so great to see Mm -hmm. Uh, and hear because the fake crowd noise just doesn't replicate that. It just doesn't. So, um, yeah, it's it's beneficial for both teams. I I'm really excited to just see how the Leafs use what they've learned all season uh, and see if they can stick with it. All signs point to yes, and the opponents that they have really they, they are the favorite. There's no other way to look at it. So uh, I mean, anything beyond an advancing to this round is going to be a, a huge disappointment. Absolutely. And I think there's also a lot of pressure on the Montreal Canadiens too. Just from their side of things, there's uh, a lot of question marks about what the future is for their team. 
But thankfully, now we actually get a more or less even playing field, with the exception, I believe, Jonathan Duran, who's uh, still away from the Canadians due to uh, personal reasons. So mm-hmm. now that we know that just about everybody's available for both teams, who do you think is going to be the X factor? Well, I mean, the best players have to be the best players. They say it, it's kind of cliche, but it's true. I think uh, the, for the Leafs, it's the big four. Uh, the second line, someone like John Tavares has to produce. He was starting to produce toward the tail end, but as as you start to see matchups, that second line needs to really start producing on a regular basis uh, and, and continue wh- where they left off in the last few weeks of the season there. So I think that's a big factor for the Leafs. Uh, for the Montreal Canadiens, I think it's going to be the veterans proving their worth, like an Eric Stahl, a Corey Perry, they were brought in for a reason. A lot of the other additions that the, the Habs made into Foley and and um, Josh Anderson, they're a little bit more seasoned in terms of maybe not Anderson as much when it comes to playoffs, but definitely to Foley. Uh, so they have the recency in terms of deeper playoff experiences. So uh, I think uh, it's it really can go either way, but for the Montreal Canadiens, the number one X factor is going to be Carey Price. If he's the Carey Price of the playoffs that we've seen over the last few years, I think that's the biggest risk to the Leafs in this series because uh, you have quality goaltending, proven goaltending versus a new commodity in Jack Campbell and a backup in Frederick Anderson. So um, the Leafs could get goalied, as they say. That that could be perhaps the biggest uh, X factor for Montreal if they do manage to sneak out the upset. For sure. Um, now we know a lot of, at least on paper, it does seem like it's the Leaf series to win. Um, and it's that's shown through the many analysts that are um, choosing the Leafs to win, you know, in as early as four or five games. And uh, obviously the betting odds as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think it will be as easy of a series for the Leafs as those analysts and those odds are predicting? Or do you think it's going to be a tough uh, series for the Leafs? I actually don't know. I mean, it's you, you can go based on this regular season, but I just don't know what it means, right? Like they've played these teams so many times, and I've been I've been debating this in my head. And if I was the Montreal Canadiens, I would be studying what the Senators did against them, because what I saw the Senators do in the last few last three or four games was anytime Toronto tried to play the puck carrying possession across the Senators resigned to the fact that, you know what, maybe we have to go against our instincts and go defensive and just line up along the neutral zone and wait for the chances. And that's what the Senators did so well against Toronto. So it goes against the instinct of, of what most competitive teams do, but that might be the way to actually beat the Leafs by stunning them and, and coming up with the newfound trap and clogging up the neutral zone. So the Leafs can't play their game. So, um, a lot of different things can happen. I don't know if Montreal is going to try something like that. These teams played each other 10 times. So it just, there, there's so many times where like maybe the coaches put something in the drawer that they just didn't use in the regular season because they wanted to wait for that formation for when the games happen. We never see this body of work and scouting going into games like we've seen this year when you've played them so many times. So I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. I do think it will get a bit closer. Uh, I like how Montreal played the Leafs earlier in the season when Montreal was actually jumping out to a really good start. Um, but it, it's such a crapshoot. It's really hard to tell. I know a lot of people want game six because game six is going to have fans in it now. So if it gets there, that would be also nice to see. But it's you can't go based on sentiment. You kind of go by where you think it's going to go. I think I had the Leafs in five or six. So I think it's, it's either one of those is plausible. Certainly agree that uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of things that could go wrong for this Leafs team. But uh, well, obviously the pessimism that the Leafs fan base always finds a way to <laughs> right counter <laughs> on there. But uh, right. another, another area of a concern could most definitely will be the Leafs power play. And yes, I know this has been uh, debated time and time again, these last few months, but it's true. The Leafs power play has not come up to uh, expectations the last couple of weeks, and we haven't seen them have a strong run since the start of the season. 
So do you think that if the least power play struggles, it could potentially cause doom for their playoff series? Play it's, playoff po- it's possible because look at um, when, when I've been watching these playoff games. Now, granted, the officials are different in Canada than they are in the States because of the restrictions. But watching the games in the States, I was actually surprised at how often penalties were actually being called. I thought it was going to be a little bit more of a five-on-five game, feel each other out, but um, there's a lot more power plays than I expected for, for both teams. So so that's going to be counted on, and the Leafs are going to have to try and figure things out. Now, they, they, they went back to the balanced two power plays that they, they kind of had in the beginning of the season where they had success, and that's splitting up the loaded four players of – Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares and splitting them up into two units. And uh, that might spark something. So um, I think it will be a factor. But again, if the officials are going to be the same as the same Canadian officials that have been around uh, just because of the travel restrictions. And based on what we've seen from them, they, they're going to let a lot of things go. There's going to be a lot of gamesmanship. I think the bigger factor is going to be how the veterans play the psychology of the playoffs. That's really going to be what I think kind of shifts momentum uh, for either side. For sure. For sure. Um, Yeah. And I wanted to talk about a specific player. You actually wrote about one of the Leafs new acquisitions uh, just the other day, Riley Nash. Yeah. Um, what does he bring to the table and how will the Leafs be utilizing him in this series? Well, I mean, look, I, it's been talked about a lot that he's been like the the guy who's haunted the Leafs playoff runs with the Boston Bruins in 2018 and last year in the bubble. Um, so I think from a defensive standpoint, from a clogging up the neutral zone, playing on the back end, uh, Riley Nash is going to be the guy who can kind of give the Leafs a few different looks on the bottom six and adjust them in different spots where they feel they need to. And um, with him and Felino back, it looks like both of them are going to play on the penalty kill. And perhaps that frees up Marner to not exert himself too much on the PK like we've seen, because they now have dedicated PK specialists, not saying having a skilled forward like Marner isn't good for the penalty kill. I think it is. It, it, it's allowed for those opportunities back the other way, but you've got some other speedy players who can play that role and you can now lean on the, the Marner line for 30 minutes a game, which we haven't really seen yet. Like a uh, minutes start to taper off, but then when the playoffs start again, they start to, to squeeze more out of your stars. So I think Riley Nash now gives uh, the least a little bit more trust in the bottom six uh, the other thing is he's going to have to learn how to play a different game in his very first game in the playoffs because uh, Columbus does a lot of chip-ins, dump-ins, and the Leafs play, uh, hold the puck all the way until the very end. And that's a very different mentality. That's, a, that's not something he's really used to. And to kind of learn that for your first time, I mean, just go by Nick Foligno. Nick Foligno's got the points, but he didn't always look like he was comfortable in that spot for the first few games that he played. And there was a bit of a learning curve. So I, I think what Riley Nash plays will, will be an easier situation for him from a defensive standpoint. He's not going to be expected to carry the puck all the time and do all those things. And he can be that first pass guy in the controlled exits to, to force the guys going forward. So I think that helps, but um, I, I do. I don't think he's going to have a lights out game. I think he's going to have to to learn a, a game or two and you know kind of get used to everything because he just hasn't played in a while and hasn't played with this new team that plays a very different style. For sure, for sure. I think uh, it's going to be exciting to see just how he fits in. Of course, the expectations are a little low, but at the same time, uh, the the Leafs picked him up for a cheap price, so they're just right. going to see what he can bring to it. And I thought he was going to be the fourth-line center, but he's actually going to be the third-line center. It doesn't mean he doesn't move out of that spot as the series goes along. Like, maybe mm-hmm. the fourth-line center spot is where he ends up being, but they like that veteran fourth-line presence of of uh, some people have nicknamed it Get Off My Line because of how old, uh, how old those three forwards are in Thornton, Simmons, and Spezza. But... Um, if you look at minutes, those three and those four lines, depending on the game, have almost been equal. So 
So outside of special teams, from an even strength standpoint, they've almost been equal. So uh, there's going to be fun situations and matchups going on based on those. And Riley Nash is going to be expected to be that physical playoff presence that can make the difference like he has against the Maple Leafs in two of the last three playoff years. For sure. And yeah, exactly. To your point, uh, if you can't beat him, you may as well try and get him on the team. <laughs> right. Well, I knew, and it was total dumb luck how they got him too, because he got hurt. Uh, the Leafs saw that they can pretty much get a guy for nothing by just trading for him, putting him on LTI, and then he's not activated until the playoffs. So, uh, or vice, or they could have done other things around the, the cap. I've written about that. It seems like a nauseum, but, uh, uh, yeah, like uh, that's it really only costs the Leafs what looks like will be a sixth round pick. It was a conditional seventh, but it moves to sixth if Nash plays over 25% of the Leafs playoff games, which pretty safe bet unless he gets hurt. So, mm-hmm. so, so um, at worst, it's going to cost the Leafs a sixth round draft choice and, uh, and like um, the like 20% that they don't have insurance cover on the contract. Uh, and from a fiscal standpoint to get a guy to come up here and really be just a value add for the Maple Leafs in a pretty prominent role on that third line center spot and, and the first PK unit. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, uh, and a best case scenario, you know, a six round pick for, if he excels in a third line center spot, that's a home run. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's seventh that turns into a six based on that condition, but uh, I mean, it's an expire. It's an expiring deal, like a lot of these are, which is why the the assets that that's been transported back and forth is not great. Uh, we have that expansion draft coming up, so it doesn't make sense for any team to pick up contracts with term on it unless they know that they have the slot to protect them, which the Leafs really don't, based on current projections. So, uh, yeah, it it was a perfect situation for them to just grab someone who they know and it's really savvy too because even nash said i didn't even think at that point when i was hurt that i could be at risk being traded because of like a team being up against the cap and how my situation helps players don't think like that they're not mathematicians right so like they don't really look at the cap from a daily standpoint and the least what they kind of did was unprecedented because he was only on the injured reserve not on the long-term injured reserve so when teams saw IR and not LTIR, it's not an obvious thing. The Leafs had to acquire him first before putting him on LTIR. So, um, yeah, it was um, it was a very unique situation in that regard. Absolutely agree. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in with the team. I certainly think he'll be bringing a lot of value. Uh, but there's one thing that's also valuable is uh, taking a, winning a playoff series, and that's something Lee still haven't done. So in order to do that, they need to figure out their opponent and Montreal, someone they faced ten times, as you mentioned. Um, obviously, we touched a bit about uh, what kind of we can kind of expect in them, what they should be looking out for, but. Are there any players that maybe Leaf fans should start to get familiar with as someone that might become a legitimate threat to this team? Threat to the Montreal Canadiens, you mean? Or like, oh. our, or <laughs> like, like, do you mean like which player on the Leafs that is kind of going to be like a dark horse against Montreal? No, like uh, more so like what Montreal Canadiens should uh, Leafs fans watch out for? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a very good one. Um, I mean. You, if you look at what Tyler Toffoli did in the playoffs last year with the Canucks, that that kind of it kind of scratches your head like that. The Canucks couldn't figure out a way to to get him back, but they had so many cap issues, it just wasn't going to happen. Um, I think Tyler Toffoli can really drive a line. Uh, I think Josh Anderson has come a long way as well. So those are the two that immediately come to mind. But I think someone like. I think later in the series, if the veteran presence isn't working, I think something someone like a Yesperi Kakinyemi can kind of come back and really be a difference maker, a la Tyler Sagan with the Boston Bruins in his early years. Like I think watching from a distance and and that build up and coming back and watching everything there will will kind of serve them well. So um, it's tough because outside of that, the Leafs are heavily favored for a reason. Like they really are. Um, to me, it's really going to come down to goaltending if the 
And if the Canadians can get a lift from a better goaltending performance from Carey Price, and, and there's not real proof of that happening this season, and given that he's coming back from injury, but stranger things have happened. So look for those two guys, Josh Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, then the rookies like Kesperi, uh, like Kesperi, sorry, uh, Yesperi, Kes, Akakanyemi, and um, even Cole Caulfield, if Cole Caulfield gets in later in the series. Those, those guys can be the guys uh, that can kind of flip the switch and, and do some damage. But uh, I really do think that the Leafs kind of have this on lockdown, barring something really unforeseen. For sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, those are definitely some Habs to definitely watch out for. I think knowing kind of the what's beyond enemy lines is the, the key to winning for the Leafs right now. But I want to bring attention to Arguably the most, uh, I guess, talked about Hab right now is Carey Price. Um, he's on everyone's mind. And he's just coming back from injury, and he just had a, a conditioning stint um, in the AHL game against the Toronto Marlies where he led in two goals. <laughs> now, aside from that, though, that performance, um, just overall how he's been playing this season, should the Leafs be as worried about him heading into the series as they would have been if, you know, in the past, in the past few seasons, if they had come a- across him? Well, I mean, I think that they're definitely, regardless of how he's been, he's Carey Price and they're not going to underestimate him. Because if you underestimate Carey Price or worse, don't give him time to build his confidence back. He can really come back to bite you. And so, mm-hmm. so that's what they have to kind of be weary of. Like uh, you, if you remember those, I think it was 2014 when the Habs went on that run and then Carey Price got hurt. But before that, no one was expecting the Montreal Canadiens to be within a sniff and they got all the way up to uh, that round against the Tampa Bay lightning. And um, they were, they were dangerous, but they were outmatched everywhere else. And Carey Price was the man like he really was. So um, I, I think a lot of people look at the fact that he's been away and the fact that, yeah, he played a conditioning game and oh, he, he let up two goals. I, I talked to a lot of goalies and I talked to a lot of goalie coaches and experts. And as a kid, I played that position too. So I kind of have a, a feel for how that game is different than anything else. And the speed of the game at the AHL and the NHL are so different that you can't even use it as a real evaluation of anything. Like you really can't. When a guy is going back and the team – like the Marlies are a shell of what the Maple Leafs are this season. And that's not to detract from the Marlies, but you know, the, they had the COVID outbreak. They had an even shorter season than the Leafs did. Uh, they weren't as good as they had been in years past that when you have someone like an Anderson come down there and, and then he gives up the goals, he gives up people are just, it's not the same game. Like I think the, the saying is like, you go to the AHL and maybe three guys can shoot. And then you go to the NHL and everyone can shoot. And and uh, when you're an NHL goalie and you're used to a different velocity shot and, and different way of seeing the game, you go to a slower game, it's almost a disadvantage. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like telling a, a guy who played in the big leagues who's used to seeing 100 miles an hour all the time now start going to 40 and slow it way down. Like it's... Yeah, it's going to catch him off guard. Right. Well, like they're yeah. just... And they're not, they're not... Especially if you're on a conditioning stint, you're not going to absorb much of that because you got to get ready to come back to when the game's back at mm-hmm. the, the speed you're trained for, right? So, mm-hmm. so like they say that a goalie going to a conditioning stint in terms of like getting better prepared is almost, it's not the same as for a player. Like for a player, it's the same speed in that regard. You know, they still kind of have to worry about systems and positioning in that. But when it's goalies facing shots, it's like a whole different ballgame. So, so um, literally all, all, all those conditioning sins for someone like Carey Price is just to see if he can move around, get through a game and not feel any of the concussion symptoms that he had felt from before. Like that's really all it comes down to is, can I get through this game and not feel a symptom of any kind? And then that would give him the confidence that he can play in an NHL game, not not, oh, I gave up these three goals. It, it really doesn't matter, or two goals in this case. It really doesn't matter. Certainly it is going to be a challenge for the Leafs, and they have to look no further than how Carey Price did in the uh, 2020 bubble last year, uh, upsetting the uh, the Penguins yeah. and pushing, it, pushing the series against the Flyers. It's, it's going to be a challenge. Right, and so it's funny, because like, I totally forgot last year that that first round was only a best of five. 
like it was so we're so far removed from it and um uh, the qualifying series and everything that play in like it wasn't until riley nash said the other day well it was different that year because it was the best of five that the leafs might have been able to to pull out of it or, or do whatever i mean based on the way they were playing i don't think so a lot of people forget that even when they had that three goal comeback they really did not play at all for 57 minutes like it was it was really bad hockey from the maple leafs a lot before that comeback in game four or game three uh so so yeah so it's um i don't know it's this is going to feel more real this is going to feel more representative of where the leafs are at and um, this is where bargain bargain hunting for veterans making near the league minimum or the league minimum is going to come into play. And that's where, you know, Spezza is being back for minimum. Thornton back, uh, Thornton for the first time for a minimum. Uh, Wayne Simmons for one and a half million coming down from his five million the year before, which he probably wasn't going to get, but still 1.5 is a big discount. So um those and Zach Bogosian for one million and now looking likely to come back for game one so all those guys those guys the physical presence the guys who've been to deep rounds those are the ones who are going to be counted on to get everyone's spirits up fired up on the bench and uh make them feel like this is a whole new type of game to play everybody has got to get up for it so that's watch the veterans because everyone's going to look to that. If the Leafs end up looking the same, then they'll, everyone will point to why are the veteran, like why, why aren't the veterans stepping up? So that's going to be the big, the big key for the Maple Leafs too. Oh, certainly mm-hmm. a lot to look forward to in this series and just, and just in general from both sides, it's going to be a bloodbath uh, from, from the, from the yeah. fans perspective, regardless yeah. of how it goes down. Uh, let's just wrap things up with uh, the big one here. How do you see this series going down and who wins in how many games? So I have the Leafs in, I'm going to go with my sentiment here because I would love to see a game six just for the sole reason that there's fans there. Um, So I'm going to go Leafs in six in this one. Um, I think the Habs do have an ability to steal some games and I think they will. Um, and there's going to be a lot of different storylines to come out of it. Um, but everything else outside of goaltending, I just don't see where the Canadians match up, but they've been underestimated before and they've managed to do the unthinkable. So you can't really fully count it out. Awesome. So, uh, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. Um, we wanted to wrap things up and we wanted to thank you, David, for coming on. It, It was a great discussion honestly and it's got me so excited for tomorrow's series yeah i know it's uh hey there's lots of playoffs on today and it's, it's just great to see fans getting back even if it's just the states right to to that that mm-hmm. felt that to me felt more playoff hockey than the bubble last year so yeah. And, so uh, yeah yeah one last thing uh do you just want to plug your socials or where people could uh Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, my, my social, my Twitter is Dalter, D-A-L-T-E-R at Dalter. Uh, and, uh, you can just go to the hockeynews.com slash TML. If you want a separate Leafs, uh, experience as opposed to everything else, but the hockeynews.com certainly has everything and, uh, we're expanding and doing a lot of fun stuff over there. So definitely check us out. Amazing. Amazing. So once again, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on. No, thanks for having me on guys. Um, so that, yep. Have a great day, man. Well, Matthew, I don't know about you, but after that conversation with David, I am super pumped for this series tomorrow. I am ecstatic like i'm so ready but i'm also nervous um as you know most leafs fans probably are nervous but it, we're in for some really good hockey honestly that's that's just the basis yeah. of it yeah um absolutely yeah yeah i mean i are we gonna give our predictions i mean i, I think we did last week right i think we said we both said leafs in six right or mm-hmm. you said leafs in seven i either way it's gonna go right down to the wire i think or maybe that's just our our pessimism <laughs> I mean, pessimism. I, I think Montreal is. Uh, I I don't think Montreal is a big pushover. I honestly do for think sure. that they're going to give the Leafs a big challenge. They've and played the I, underdog role for years now, 
And oh, yeah. once again, they're coming as the underdog and like they have nothing to lose, everything to win. Yeah. They could win big. Well, yeah, but there's also a lot of pressure on Montreal because their future is at stake and like what direction the team is going. We don't even know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, there's a lot of pressure on both sides. I think there's going to be a lot of changes for whichever team comes out as the uh, on the losing side. It's going to so, be great. I can't wait. I can't wait either. Um, again, thanks to David for coming on. Really appreciated him coming on and giving his insight. He uh, Make sure you follow him on Twitter at DAlter. Um, one of my favorite follows uh, for Leaf stuff. He's always on top of it all. Um, all your Leafs updates really you can get from him. So make sure you follow him. And I think we'll close out the episode. We'll shout out our socials as well. As always, you can follow us, tweet us, message us, give us feedback, whatever questions on our podcast account at behind the net pod on twitter and you could also do the same and follow me on at matt underscore rodrigo underscore on twitter and you can follow me on twitter at the leafs imo awesome so uh this time tomorrow we'll be well we won't be watching the leafs game but we'll be prepping to watch that game and it's going to be very very interesting so yep until then until next week see you all take care guys